Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Now listen, last week, Peyton told you that we finished the book of Romans and our series. And technically we did, but I had already planned to preach on the word that we're going to be using today just so happens to be in the book of Romans. So I'm like, let's tack it on, right? It's only used three times in the book of Romans. And uh, the word baptized is used twice in verse 3. It means to immerse, to submerge, to dip. It's the verb is the action of immersing something or someone in liquid, and it's usually water. In verse 4, the word baptism is used just once, and it is the event of being immersed. This word has been and continues to be controversial to many people of the faith. And some will do their best to try to keep water out of the passage. Uh, they will refer to it as being metaphoric of an experience that we have with the Holy Spirit. Or they will say it's symbolic of what Jesus did for us in saving us, that we are also, we die, we're buried, and we are resurrected as Christ. There are others, though, they will overemphasize this word. And, and they will not really take into consideration the things that Paul has already said in the book of Romans, especially about faith and justification, righteousness that comes to God from God. And, and for some, it's like, if I, if I can do this one external ritual, then that's all I need to do in order to be saved, to be a part of Christ. But I believe that the Bible, if you read it, it, we realize that this is just one component of a much larger experience that we're supposed to have, such as faith and, and repentance, water baptism, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's all a part of that experience. I think, Paul, maybe I have. Yes. So when we go to Acts... You will see he talks about faith, and he'll kind of leave it out there by itself as, as those who are believers. Or he will talk about repentance, and it will be out there all by itself, and those who turn back, and their sins are blotted out, and so forth. And then we see, in, in the beginning, he talks about baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. But then, later on, it talks about someone, those who received the Spirit, and later they were baptized. There's this larger experience that's happening. And, and that's what I want us to understand. Because, you know, I think there's a lot of people even who say, you know what, baptism is important. But they don't really know why. Other than the fact, well, Jesus was baptized. And Jesus tells us to be baptized. And the Bible says be baptized. And those are very good reasons, by the way. But they may not understand why immersion. Why is this so so relevant to us. So that's where I really want us to, to focus in on this morning. So we're going to start here. Well, we are going to stay in chapter 6 for the most part. But let's read the first five verses together. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You know, one of the things that we, we said a couple of weeks ago is that baptism is understood in terms of the new exodus. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, oh, sorry, keep going, uh, the other way. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 2, he refers to baptism, and this baptism into Moses and the cloud and in the sea. He's talking about that wilderness wandering group and, and how, how we are the new exodus movement, that we too are passing through, if you will, Paul, we pass through the sea as well. If you, if you know the story about, of, of the Exodus, you know the story of the rebellion uh, of, and, and uh, how God finally freed them from that slavery, hundreds of years of slavery. But it wasn't until they finally parted through the waters of the Red Sea that the enemy was finally defeated. That is really what we're finding here because here's what we learn is that we now are freed from slavery and we have this new, this new liberation in Christ. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, We know that our old life was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Folks, this is Exodus language. Now, you would think someone who finally has been freed after hundreds of years, you know, slavery, that, you know, you'd never want to go back to it ever again. But for some reason, sin is one of those things that just continues to draw our, our fleshly side. And so... You look, at, you look at Israel. What did they do when they got to the wilderness? After a while, some of them said, you know what? I think it would be better if we go back to a life of slavery than where God is leading us. And we look at that and we're like, are you crazy? But do we do the same thing? Paul's question in verse 1. You look at that. He, he's, he sees that there are some that they have... They've started to minimize the value. They're really valuing the, the works of the law, where this is God's standard of, of righteousness. But they're like, look, if grace is everything, then why not just sin and unleash God's grace all through the world? And we think, that's so crazy. Now, what Paul says here in verse 1 it is a response to what he says in the two verses right before chapter 6. So look at it, verses 20 and 21, chapter 5. He says, Now the law came, to, uh, came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
So that as sin reigned in death, grace also must reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's why he says, should we continue in sin, that grace may abound. Law magnified sin. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But where sin abounded, grace superabounded. So there were those who were thinking, well, if grace will superabound, then why not just sin? There's a, a monk, a Russian monk by the name of Rasputin. He's long dead. He's a beautiful man. He was a major influence and favorite of the emperor Nicholas II. And this is what he taught. The more a person sins, the more grace he will receive. So sin with gusto. I can't understand why that was the emperor's favorite, right? <laughs> Paul's response to this kind of thinking is, no, absolutely not, by no means. You look back at chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul pictures sin as a ruling power. You see that, right? Sin reigned in death. But he says, now, thanks to Jesus Christ, thanks to God and his gift, there's, there's a new king. Grace also might reign through his righteousness. And if we are in Christ, then we've changed kingdoms. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he gives an analogy of two fields. And in this two fields, he says, look, every person starts off in one of these fields and we can't escape it of our own. We can't, we can't climb the wall. We can't get out of there. But that God has come and he has taken us out of this field of sin and death. And he has brought us into this new field that is ruled and reigned by Christ. It's a beautiful picture. But it's a decisive change that has to take place at that moment. However, we can still hear Satan's voice from across the wall. He's still calling to us, even though we don't have to listen and respond. But we still hear it, don't we? In baptism, we are joined with Christ. But that word baptism, it really throws people off. Have you ever noticed that? It really does. And I think it's because, especially if you read the book of Romans, I mean, you, man, especially after you've traveled through chapter 4, you're, all, you're really kind of expecting Paul to say, here, those who have faith are in Christ. But he doesn't say that. He connects it with baptism. He says water baptism is the point in time when we are joined to Christ. Now there is a, the primary Greek word of the word baptized. Are you ready for this? It means to die. Not D-I-E, which definitely has some true symbolism here, right? But D, I mean not D-I-E, but D-Y-E. I can't spell I really wanted to do this illustration over in the new renovations because I've got good dye here, Glenda. 
But it's like, you know, you take dye and you put it in something. It, it just kind of permeates everything in it, right? But what happens when we take something such as this cloth and we put it into this red dye? It just saturates it, doesn't it? Saturates every aspect of it. Not just, not just the outside of it. Not just the outside and the inside. It permeates everything in between. He says baptism and our, this connection that we have with Christ is, is so so close. It's so much that it's supposed to permeate and saturate our life. That he says that we, we need to be dyed. Christ needs to take over every aspect of our lives. And if you notice the text, there in verse 3, I believe, he, he says, he doesn't say that you're baptized like Christ, does he? What does it say? You're baptized into that tells me that goes beyond symbolism. That tells me something else is happening here. It goes beyond this outward. In baptism, the old Adamic union of sin and death, it's, it's decisively broken. Now, that doesn't mean we can't sin, does it? Because we're still living in the world of chapter 5, verse 21. There's still these two fields where one is one of sin and death, and is ruled by Satan, but the other is the one that's come now thanks to Jesus Christ. He now rules and he reigns. And even though it's so tempting for us to listen to what's happening on the other side of the wall and what the old master is trying to tell us, he says, it's been broken. You don't have to listen. You don't have to follow that. We know the one we now live, we know of the two overlords that we rightfully, that rightfully claims our allegiance. This whole contrast of life and death that you see here in the text is, is so important. You know, he talks about baptism and this death, and, and yet there's this, this resurrection kind of thing happening. We rise in a new, new way of life, or, or maybe what he's really saying here is that we're going to rise. I think that's a real possibility here. Those in Christ are walking on resurrection ground. That's what he's telling us. And that has to penetrate our hearts and our minds and our behavior. But sometimes we live so long over here on this other side of the wall, it gets tough. I don't know if you've ever seen the Shawshank Redemption, but there's this one, you know, one of the themes that they kind of develop there is this idea that some people have been in there so long, it's like all they know. There's this, this one scene, and, and uh, this guy, he got word of his parole. And he, go, and he takes another prisoner, he's going to kill him. Because he doesn't want out. He's so afraid of freedom that he would rather do something that keeps him locked up in a prison. Listen, sin and the old life, it's tempting, right? 
It's, it's, a, it's what we know. It was, it was the main character, or one of the main characters, Red. You may know him as Morgan Freeman. One of my favorite all-time actors, by the way. He said in that moment, talking about it, he says, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so, you depend on them. That's institutionalized. Sometimes I think that's the way we are with our old life of sin. We're institutionalized to it. It's what's comfortable to us. We talk about two fields, but there's actually a doctrine of two ways that is found in a lot of Jewish teachings, especially in the Midrash. The Midrash is like this, uh, it's hard to describe, it's like this ongoing commentary <laughs> of Scripture. But it's, it's a tradition that was known by Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. You might remember the one about the, the two masters. And he talks about the two roads and so forth. But the doctrine emphasizes the fact that everybody's got to choose who they're going to serve. Are you going to serve your evil inclinations? Or are you going to serve your creator? And, and, and when we decide we're going to serve one, we're going to anger the other. And so we have to put one to death. That's where baptism comes in. That's the connect that Paul is making here. That we, we, we kill it. We, we die to that old side. Now we still, we're still going to be attracted to sin. Even the best Christians, I'm telling you. We're still going to have to die unless Jesus comes back before that happens. But if someone came to Paul and said, listen, sin and death, it's just as powerful for me today as it was the day that I had faith in Christ, he would say, you need to consider, seriously consider your baptism. There in verse 11, he says, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word consider is interesting. It's a, it's a word that it's, it means to count, to calculate, to think about. So we're urged to think through our baptism. To, to think about what this all means, that we belong to the kingdom of grace and righteousness, that we are no longer, because we now have passed through the waters, we no longer are ruled by Satan, we no longer are a part of his sin and his death. We are standing on resurrection ground. And folks, that's why in our own church covenant that we have, which is all based on scripture, by the way, is as a church family, we as leaders say, look, we need to live a godly life. We need to, to show the world what it looks like for someone who's in Christ. To show someone who lives, even though we still are walking in this world, what it's like to walk with God. That he's the one who reigns over us. And so it's like, well, what is all this mean to us? How, what should I take away from, from this lesson? And you can just put up that last little slide, Paul. 
Let's, let's begin with those who you've never been immersed and you don't think it's important. Here's all I'm going to say to you. You don't need me to tell you one way or the other. All you need is a Bible and a sincere heart. I can give you every scripture in here that, that's got baptism, baptized, whatever. Or you can do this. Google it. Google baptism Bible verses. Just read it. Read it it's in its entirety. Read the context within it. And then just, just stop at the end and ask yourself, what is God telling me? And then if you, you still have questions or you, you want to come to, I'd be glad to sit down with you and, and talk with you more. But, but the fact is you can discover that truth on your own. You may say, well, at what point do I get baptized? And Because some of you, you may be like, you know, it's something I've thought about. I would say as soon as you come to faith in Jesus Christ, as soon as you determine that I want to give up this old life of sin and death, I, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I am sick and tired of this old kingdom and what it brings and what it represents. When you're ready for that, you're ready for baptism. Acts 8 is a great example of that. With you got Philip and the Ethiopian official there. And, and what's interesting is, you know, Philip goes to him. God sends him to him. And he's reading out of Isaiah. How about that? Isaiah. And, and he's baptized on that day. Out in the desert. Finally found some water. Didn't wait. He didn't say, well, whoa, 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 you need to go through some baptismal classes. No, no, no. He said, you're ready. Now, it doesn't mean we don't need to understand what we're doing. But baptism focuses, listen to this. This is so important. Baptism focuses on what God does for us, not what we're doing. You let that penetrate for a little bit. And as for those who have been immersed into Christ, let me tell you something. There's something here for you. You know why? Because Paul's talking to who? People who are already immersed into Christ. And he would say to us, are you listening to that voice on the other side of the wall? Are you still living the same kind of life that you lived before the day that you decided, I want to be, I, I want to change. I'm putting that to death. Have we, have we resurrected the other side? He said, we're walking on resurrection ground, folks. Don't give in to that old life. It's really been interesting these last couple of months. At the beginning of the school year at Faulkner University, that's a Christian university, 37 young men on the football team were baptized. 37. Like, before that week was out, it seemed, I think the SGA president was baptized. There was somebody else who was baptized. They've had others who were baptized. It got to the point, I even like, was, it, was anybody a Christian when they came on campus? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's my university, so I can say stuff like that. Then I read about Auburn University. And listen, they need Jesus. But... <laughs> 
more than 200 students at Auburn University were baptized in what's described as a spontaneous outpouring of faith and commitment to Christ. It all started what began with this Unite Auburn worship event that took place. And it was one person who came up and said, they need to be baptized. They need to be immersed. Did, Did you know that in that whole worship experience, they never even mentioned baptism? They didn't have an invitation song, an altar call. There was a connection in hearing about Jesus that said, I need to go to the water. You read Acts 8, that's what you see. As far as I know, Philip's not the one. Well, Philip didn't say, look, here's water. You need to be baptized. It was the eunuch. He's the one who said, Philip, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? All we know that he spoke to him, if you read that text, is it said he took the place where he was reading from Isaiah and he preached Jesus. There's some kind of connection with Jesus and water. And that may be a person, some of you right now, something you've been thinking about, and it's like, stop thinking about it so much. Just follow Jesus. Just just follow him wherever he wants you to go. Pass through the waters. Put evil behind you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his blood that cleanses us. We thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you, Father, for for water, for, for giving us this means of something that we'll never forget, something that's to always to be thought about and remembered and considered and And it just changes who we are because because you are in us through your spirit. Father, I pray for those who are just on the brink. Father, just just help them step out and say, it's time. I pray for those of us who have been baptized and we we still are living in this kingdom that's fallen. and, And Father, it's so hard sometimes. Father, help us not to listen to the voice on the other side. Help us, Father, to make your Son the one and only and true ruler of our lives. Father, I just pray that this church sees something of a revival and something of, of a refreshment of, that just washes over our whole community. Father, lead us. Your spirit, Father, lead us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.